Hi guys, welcome to another episode of When the Scriptures Become Real. Uh, it's again a podcast where we learn, where we study, where we grow, uh, where we try to become the best versions of ourselves as we can um, as we continue to serve our Lord. Again, we have another special guest on the podcast this week. And before he introduces himself to you guys, um, I just want to let you know that you can also find the video portion um, of the podcast on YouTube. Um, you can also find it wherever you can get your podcast as well. You know, so Spotify, uh, the little podcast app on your uh, on your iPhone. And then also if you use Android, um, it's on Google Podcasts. Um, it's also on Stitcher and, and iHeartRadio. So those are just a few, um, but you can subscribe to those, follow to those, and you can find uh, when the scriptures become real there. So again, like I mentioned before, we have a special guest on the podcast again this week, and I'd like himself to uh, introduce himself to you guys. Well, I'm Michael Clark. I'm a minister for the Somerville Church of Christ in Somerville, Tennessee, graduated from Memphis School of Preaching in 2017, and uh, I also host the Far Better podcast that you can find on all major podcast platforms. Yeah, and we'll definitely make sure that at the end we'll give Mike's uh, information uh, so you can listen to that too. Um, Michael and I actually, well, he graduated before I did, but we were at the school together um, for, yeah, for a good a year for, and a half. Yeah, for yeah. a year and a half. So we, we were there together for a good time. And even before the school, you know, we've known each other for, what, I think since we were 12, 11, 12, something like that. Had when was Foundations? It. Foundations was, you have to be 13, right? 2007? Yeah, something like that. So, so we've, known, we've known each other for a long time, and it's, um, it's good to see him. Now he, got, you know, he has a family, you know, he's married to Megan, you know, has a son now. So it's good to see yeah. him growing up on me, you know. So uh, it's always good to, to talk to, you know, to friends and see that they're doing well and, and specifically um, talking about, um, about the gospel. And that's what obviously brings us together. Um, so what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about the concept of I love you, question mark, slash conflict is good. Well, well, what are you talking about? You know, Mike, I think a lot of times in the, in the church, um, we are commanded, you know, there's, there's a plethora of verses we can go to, but we are commanded uh, to love one another. You know, I'm reminded of, you know, a verse like John 13, 34, where, you know, where it says to love one another as I have loved you. So therefore love one another, you know, or, you know, Romans 13, eight, um, where it talks about, uh, oh man, oh, no man, anything, but love one another. And then we could even bring up, you know, first Thessalonians four, nine, um, where it talks about, you know, for ye ourselves are taught of God to love one another, which Loving one another um, in the church is is crucial, as we just mentioned. There's three verses there, um, but I know I know you've seen this before as well uh, in your work um, and in the church uh, that sometimes we can get this twisted view of what real agape love is. You know, sometimes we think that um, everything at all points in times in our relationships with one another always has to be cotton candy and teddy bears, and everything's always amazing which is not really reality. And so sometimes we have this twisted idea of biblical love is I always have to be 100% um, happy with you. You always have to be 100% happy with me. And sometimes this mindset um, doesn't allow us to kind of hold each other accountable. I know that you've seen this before, you know, also in your work, Michael. Well, yeah. And the funny thing is this is from the world, the, the mindset and mentality that, if you really love me, you will never tell me to change. You will never tell me to do anything different. You're just expected to love me as I am. Yeah. And I think some of the church has made a mistake in saying the church is a come as you are 
organization. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by that is not what people sometimes hear. We mean the Lord will take you with all your faults and flaws. And if you will live for him, he will look past those faults and flaws, but you have to live for him. Right. This requires change on our part. You know, when the, when the police officer comes and pulls me over and tells me I've been speeding, I get a ticket. I'm expected to go to court, pay for the ticket, and then change my driving habits. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get to tell the, the judge and the police officer that pulled me over, well, um, this is just how I am, and you're just going to have to ex accept that. No, they, they tell me then that I have to change, and the world doesn't have a problem with being told it has to change on some things. Right. It doesn't have a problem being told it has to change its driving habits. doesn't have a problem being told it needs to change its eating habits sometimes. But when we get down to the lifestyle choices that we make, people really freak out and go, well, I, this is just how I'm always going to be. And you're just going to have to accept that. Yeah. And it's kind of, they give you kind of an ultimatum, which, yeah. which kind of shows you the type of heart and attitude that they have. But with this mindset that we're talking about, sometimes if we hold this mindset in the church, um, it allows us not to hold our brethren accountable. Now, when I say are, it's not the sense that because you and I are preachers that we aren't supposed to be held accountable as well, because right. obviously we, we teach, but also we learn as well. So we're not perfect either. So yeah. we're also included in that are. Um, but I listened to something the other day um, about leadership. And this is what this guy said. He said, sometimes saying, I love you, uh, too much and not holding people accountable is sloppy and not authentic. Hmm. And instead of keeping one, um, instead of keeping one another accountable, uh, sometimes we make each other sloppy. Yeah. So therefore, um, we don't, we breed a fake intimacy. Right. But if you really think about it, keeping one another accountable actually builds or breeds intimacy. You know, you and I were just talking about the Baltimore Ravens, Yeah. you know, <laughs> you know just before, you know, we got, uh, the, you know, started recording, but you think about a football team, you think about any type of team, you know, and obviously, you know, we both played sports, but when you don't do something right, you're going to have your teammates, your mm -hmm. coaches, and in some organizations, the fans yeah. will hold you accountable because they expect a certain type of standard to be met. I actually coach flag football in my community. Um, surprise, surprise, I'm a Steelers fan, and the team that <laughs> coaches the Steelers. And uh, we won the championship this past year. And one of the things I've done with my players as I coach them is they're fifth or eighth grade, so they're not superstar athletes. But I expect them, when the ball is thrown their way, to be able to catch the ball. Yeah. I expect them to be able to run routes and do things to the level of their ability. And one of the things I have done is in practice, I will tell those kids, after they've dropped a couple of passes in a row, all right, from this point forward until I say so, every pass you drop is a lap around the field. And you think Odell Beckham is catching <laughs> passes after that because they're catching one-handed, they're doing all this crazy stuff, and it's because they know they're going to be held accountable if they don't. Yeah. And I love these kids that I coach. I really have enjoyed getting to do that, but I expect them to do their job. And, in fact, you being a Patriots fan, you know that phrase very well from Bill Belichick, do your job. Yep. Don't do your job. What ends up happening is you're going to be cut. You're going to be let go. Yeah. In the NFL, in the NHL, in the NBA, all of the major sports you can think of, once you stop doing a good job, you're either going to be given an opportunity to change and maybe you can continue to stay on the team. But if you don't change, you're gone. Yeah. Uh, and there's no real love lost in that situation. It's just – 
you know, we expected you to do this job. You didn't do it. You're gone. I've yeah. watched, I've watched videos of teams who have been cut, cut players who have been cut and they're just kind of staring there. And the coach is saying, you know, if you'd just done a better job, this wouldn't be happening. Yeah. And it's tough love. It's this mentality. And some of those same players have gone on to do great things. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team six times, six times. And think about what he did. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing to think about that. It might not have been six times. You might have been cut from a high school basketball team and then won six championships. <laughs> but the point still The number stands. six in there. And, you know, it's, it still stands that what, what if he hadn't been cut? Would that same level of greatness been achieved? I don't know. But when you look at someone and love that person, sometimes it requires you to tell them that they're wrong or that they could be doing something better. And our yeah. world has forgotten that. Right. And like you just mentioned before, this concept of – um, come as you are. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you know, if I'm coming as I am and, you know, if I'm lazy, if I'm sloppy, then you just have to accept that and right. you have to conform to me. Right. See, that's the thing that messes so many people up in the church is the Bible and Christ and the Lord is the standard. They don't conform to us. Right. We have to conform to what the Bible says. If we can't do that, see, sometimes we think the Lord, um, you mentioned the coach, Sometimes we think the Lord isn't, um, wouldn't be hard on his followers. No, the Lord will hold us just as accountable because obviously there's going to be a judgment day. So yeah. we're being held accountable now. Mm -hmm. And so the thing is, you know, we need to understand this concept of, of, uh, of accountability. And I want to notice this verse here, Michael. I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And again, with this podcast, we want to make sure that you guys uh, follow along with us. You know, these are not my opinions or Michael's opinions. You know, we're going to try to talk about what the Bible says. And so look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Now, here's, here's an instance of, of discipline. Now, discipline is another word for accountability. Right. You know, essentially because you made those kids run if they miss passes. Yeah. You know, so you were, you were disciplining them, which held them accountable, which made them better. Mm -hmm. And so here's what the Lord says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. But the Bible says, but now I have written unto you, not to keep company if any man that is called a brother. So this is our brother. This is not, you know, talking about somebody that's outside. This yeah. is a brother in Christ. If he's a fornicator, if he's covetous, if he's an idolater or railer, talk about his speech. If he's a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, we should not eat. Now, I know you've seen this, Michael, working with youth and working with, with adults as well. How many times have you seen um, a member that hasn't necessarily, they're, they're very spotty. So maybe they come in one Sunday or they come in during the holiday Sundays, right? Mm -hmm. And they come in and every time they come in, the first words that everybody says, I love you. And, and, the, and we know what they're doing too. Oh, I love you though. But when people aren't living right, what do we say? Oh, I love you. Or when people don't evangelize or don't work in the church, what are the words we say? Oh, I love you. Yeah. What are we doing? We're not, we're not helping them. Now, here's the, here's the question. The people that they're following on the outside, guess what they're saying to them too? Yeah. <laughs> they're I saying, you. I love you too. So what, so what makes the church different from the world if we're saying the same things that they are? You see, you know, when the Lord brings, yeah, like you yeah. say, if, when the Lord brings accountability, that yeah. makes us different. Well, it's funny. I had to. I was asked. You know, sometimes preachers are asked to preach sermons they they don't want to preach, uh, but the elders feel like the congregation needs to hear it. And 
such was the case this past Sunday for me. Ryan, my, my co-minister that works with me here, was out of town. He was in Costa Rica. So I was preaching all three times that, that morning, Bible class, both services. And they asked me to speak on not being involved in the church work, mm. not being involved in leading in worship, not being involved in the care group activities that we have and, and being involved in the prayer meetings we have once a quarter and do, doing all of these things. Right. And I, I just got up and I called the sermon, I don't want to. And I was coming at it from the perspective of, I don't want to be involved in leading worship. I don't want to be involved in church activities. And I asked the question, do you think anybody in the first century church ever sat around before the service started and said, but I led the prayer last week. Right. But I did this last, I waited on the Lord's table last Sunday, or I hosted the church in my house last week. Not from what I read in the Bible, not from what I read in the scriptures, they couldn't get enough of it. But I also find out when congregations fell by the wayside, people rebuked them. Mm -hmm. Paul, and, and not just in Galatians to Peter, because we know Peter was rebuked according to Galatians 2.11, that right. Paul stood him to the face because he was to be blamed. But I love what he says in chapter 3 and verse 1, where he literally comes out and says, you foolish Galatians. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Do you usually start out with someone that you're fond of by calling them foolish? foolish. <laughs> he says, you foolish Galatians. And then he goes as far as saying, who bewitched you? Yeah. Come on, who, who tricked you? Who made you think that this was really the case, that you could follow the old law and be pleasing and acceptable to God instead of doing what the, what the New Testament law demands? Right. And he says, look, you guys watched. You, you were witnesses of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He, he was crucified among you. This is how it's been portrayed. And you want to go back to the old law? And he says, look, did you receive the spirit of, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And he starts this process and he says again in verse three, are you so foolish? Are you guys that thick in the head that you don't get this? <laughs> yeah. And I love how he continues on through chapter three. And he says, you want to be sons of Abraham? You're not. Yep. You're the sons of Hagar. And anybody that would understand Old Testament law would have understood the sons of Abraham were the only ones that had inheritance. Hagar's children had no inheritance. And that's what Paul's saying. If you don't change you're going to be disciplined in a way that's not pleasant. You won't have an inheritance to look forward to. Right. And people today, if we were to stand up in the pulpit and say that in some congregations would riot. Oh yeah. We would be fired. Yeah. And I'm thankful that I serve an eldership that is very much willing to allow me to get into the pulpit and preach the truth. And in fact, after that sermon, stand up as an eldership and say, everything that has just been preached is from God's word and we need to be doing it. That's a blessing because yeah. I've heard of preachers who got up and preached about certain things that the congregation wasn't doing, rebuking them in love, and were let go. We're told you need to find a new place to preach. And it's a shame that our mentality today is, I love you, and that means that whatever you're doing is acceptable. And yeah. like you mentioned, when people get into the church building and they haven't been in months, and instead of us asking them, where have you been? What's been going on? We just act as if nothing has nothing happened. happened then why are we surprised that they're not going to come back? Yep. Because what they know is, like you said, the outside world's telling them that they're acceptable and the inside world of the church is telling them that they're acceptable. So where's the reason to change? Imagine yep. if Paul had seen Peter in first in Galatians chapter two, seen what he was doing and just walked off and just allowed it to continue. Peter's soul was in jeopardy. What right. he was doing was sinful. This is an apostle, by the way doing a sinful activity, and another apostle has to rebuke him, withstand him to the face. 
And yet Peter and Paul still loved each other. I yeah. never get an in indication that they didn't. I never right. get any scripture that tells me they didn't get along. Sometimes love means correction. Yeah. And, and imagine, you know, the type of backbone that these guys had to have to say this. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you heard when a situation like that happened today that the first thing the preacher said was, oh, ye foolish. Yeah. And then whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, some people would probably walk out, like you said before. But, you know, I'm reminded of, remember in, in Acts chapter 2, you know, when Peter preached that sermon, you know, he used so many personal pronouns in that sermon. Look at what you did. You killed him. Y'all did this. And so sometimes, um, even with us as ministers, we're afraid to tell people that they're wrong because of, and sometimes, Mike, I think we're afraid to tell people they're wrong because we have this denominational mindset of, well, I've built this relationship with this person. And so if I tell this person or I rebuke that person, then I don't want, I run away from conflict. Yeah. This is why we're talking about sometimes conflict is good because this mm -hmm. has to happen because I'm trying to help and save your soul. And, well, and this concept of, of, of discipline yeah. and this is why the Lord instituted it. Right. That's right. And you think about what happened in Acts chapter five with the disciples of Christ as they're going into the temple and they're preaching and teaching and they're told by the, by the council, don't do this anymore. Yeah. And they go right back out and they preach and teach again. And they're brought back in a second time. And in Acts five and verse 28, it says, didn't we strictly command you not to do this? Yeah. Like what's wrong with you? How do you not understand that you're not supposed to do this? Peter's response. And it also says that the other apostles, we ought to obey God rather than man. Rather than man. I don't, we don't care what you tell us. We're going to follow God's word over man's word. And if that means we get rebuked and we get punished and persecuted, so be it. We're trying to save souls. And I, I brought this out in our Tuesday morning Bible class we have here at the building. You know what is so amazing about the first century church where they went, according to Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, to worship? They went to the temple. Yeah where people were at in the temple at times they were following the old law and they went to a place where people did not believe necessarily what they were teaching they they believed in the god of the bible the god of the torah and the god of the septuagint that they had but they didn't believe in the god of the new testament that was being promoted right these people would go to the temple almost like they're looking for a debate to talk about the lord yep and not, in a, not in an arrogant we're going to be jerks and we're going to try to fight with you about it but let's go to where the debate can happen and there had to be some conflicts that occurred there, yeah. such as what happens here in Acts chapter 5. Once Paul became a Christian, he spent much of his ministry going to the temple to look for people that might be able to be spared from the temple worship into New Testament worship. But I love what happens in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, where it says that they were sent away from the presence of the council after being beaten, and they're rejoicing that they were worthy to count, they were worthy to suffer shame for his name. And then it says, daily at the temple, and in every house, they did not they cease, cease teaching not. and preaching Jesus Christ. Yeah. What did that mean? You know what that meant? There were people that they saw on a daily basis that were doing things that were sinful, and they were teaching them that they were sinful, and they were teaching them about Jesus Christ. Exactly what Paul did, or exactly what Peter did, I should say, in Acts chapter 2. Yeah. You killed Christ. They said the same things after being beaten. There are no consequences today for us for, for following Christ. And I think we've become like fat cats who don't want to chase mice anymore.
Yeah. We're just content. We, we have freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And what that means is we're just going to stay in our four walls and let whoever comes in hear the truth. And that's it. And it can't be that way. It can't. Yeah. And, and here's the thing that I've, I've learned over the years is that sometimes Mike, um, people, people, children, kids, teenagers, adults, everybody's looking for structure. Mm-hmm. Everybody's wants discipline, even though you don't want it. Right now, I know us growing up, we were disciplined a lot because we, you know, yeah. we got into some, some trouble, you know, growing up. But now you are a father, and you're disciplining your son, not just because of the simple pleasure of doing it. You're doing it yeah. because you love him. And so, think about this um, in Proverbs twenty nine, uh, fifteen. You know, it always talks about discipline here, but specifically. It's talking about disciplining a child. Notice what it says, Proverbs 29, 15. It, it says the rod and the reproof, what do they give? Mm. They give wisdom. Now, yeah. at some points, you have to use the rod. Right. But at some points, you have to use wisdom and talk to whoever you're disciplining. There's right. different ways to discipline people. But then at the end of the verse, notice what happens, though. But a child that is left to himself brings his mother shame. That yeah. phrase, um, left to himself, literally means um, in the Hebrew, allowed to do as he or she pleases <laughs> and does whatever he wants. He or she will grow up to be an unruly person. Yeah. You cannot control them, and they cannot control themselves. I've got, like you mentioned, I've got a two-year-old boy, and when it gets time for bed, all of a sudden, he wants to do everything else in the world but go to bed. <laughs> and so you know, his teeth have been brushed. He may have already had his bath. If he needed the bath, he, he's had everything done. We've read a book. We've done all the things we normally do. And I'll say, all right, it's time to go up and go to bed. Adam, brush teeth. No, we've already brushed your teeth. <laughs> Adam, take bath. No, we've already taken a bath. Daddy, read one book, one book. No. And I, I take him and I say, son, it is time for bed. Now, there's nothing wrong with brushing his teeth, taking a bath, or reading a book. All of those things are good. The problem is he didn't want to read a book. He didn't want to take a bath. He didn't want to brush his teeth. He just didn't want to go to bed. Yeah. And he knew that if he could get me to do these things, it's just a little bit more time of staying awake. There is no parent in their right mind that would tell me I made a mistake for putting him in the bed. Right. So why is it any different when I tell my son to not act like a fool and he acts like a fool and I have to take the rod of discipline and give him a measured dose of discipline, not child abuse, but a measured a dose measured to let dose. him know yeah. this is not acceptable. It's no different than telling him it's bedtime. I'm training him to not behave that way growing up. A society with no morals and no rules is a society that will collapse on itself. You just look around, watch the countries and watch the people who have no rules about certain things and they collapse from within. And that's the problem with homes. Parents who are run by the children have children that grow up, and just like that verse says, bring shame to the parents. Right. I can't tell you, Jordan, how many people I have seen, and how many, and just in a few years of ministry, people that have called me, people who have talked to me and said, I don't know what happened, but my child is unfaithful. I've heard the same thing. And at times, they have done everything that they can. Right. And I don't put any blame whatsoever on them. But there have also been some times where I look at something and I see it and I go, you know, I have to, I have to wonder because I was around and I didn't really notice much discipline. 
in certain situations, or I heard how they parented from their own mouth. And they said, we didn't discipline enough. And those parents then tell me, we wish we had, mm-hmm. we wish we had done that. And I actually heard of a, a serial killer who was standing trial and he was asked on the stand, why do you have this lack of respect for authority? And do you know what his answer was? I was not disciplined as a child. I think if I had been spanked, I would have grown up with a proper respect for authority and I may not have been involved in some of these things. And that's where people don't understand. We look at love and we think that love is tolerance. Love is, it's not what it is program because we, we do a publication here at Somerville called the Somerville seeker. And next month's issue is about love since it's February. And Ryan is going to write about the subject of is love acceptance. And that's the entire point of what we're making here today. No, it's not acceptance. Doctors love their patients. They will not accept them coming in and being unhealthy. I got an email this morning. I've got Crohn's disease. You know that. I got an email this morning because I haven't been filling out my journal like I'm supposed to. (laughs) And the nurse sent me an email saying, are you still alive? Because you know you're supposed to be filling out this journal. And I was thinking, well, yeah, I probably should be. I don't want to fill it out. But she didn't send me that with joy. She wants me to do what's right so that I can be healthy, so that I can get better. And that's what true love is. It's not accepting what we're given, but trying to reach people to what they're supposed to be. And sometimes, Michael, I think the, the Lord puts church discipline here, not because he wants it there. Right. He puts it there. So let's say there's, there's a guy named Joe. And let's say Joe uh, left the church and started living like the prodigal son in Luke 15. Um, but the thing about Joe is Joe stays there, mm-hmm. right? So verses like we talked about in 1 Corinthians 5, 11 and all that, when we discipline Joe, when we don't eat with Joe, now, does, it, does the Bible say that we should still encourage Joe? Yes, while he's out there. But in terms of fellowship, I have no fellowship with Joe. Right. So what does that do in the heart of Joe? That makes him miss what he had before. That's what church discipline does. It it makes them see where they're ha- what they have out there is not good enough. Yeah, I had everything here, and then I need to come back, and then I need to repent. And so you think about this concept of of conflict. Yeah, you know, since we kind of introduced that, so what are some things that that we can do in order, you know, as ministers, as leaders? Um, even as Christians, maybe in our own personal circles, what we do when there's conflict. Number one, and I've got you know three small reasons here, um, but number one, I think part of uh, showing true love is telling them spiritually you need to follow through. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, obviously we brought up the football example, but essentially we bring that up, um, and it boils down to three words: you need to pull your weight. Yeah. You know, in Ephesians chapter four. Uh, verse number 16, again, you know, the, the church is, you know, as you know, Michael is always referenced to as, as the body, right? And so the body obviously has intricate pieces within the whole. And so here in Ephesians chapter four, um, verse number 16, I want you to notice um, what Paul writes here. If I can get here, there we go. So notice what it says here, for whom the whole body, that's the church, fitly joined together and compacted but the next phrase, but every joint supplies. Mm-hmm. So if your joints aren't supplying physically in your body, it tears down the entire body. 
So, you know, you've ever, you're walking up the stairs, you know, you, you stub your toe. Yeah. Your head had nothing to do with that, but your entire body feels it. Mm-hmm. And so why is it that if you're not doing what you're supposed to do in the church, if you're not living right, if you're doing this and I expose that, then I'm the bad guy. Right. It, it makes no sense. And so I think we do, you know, the, the work of the church, you know, we got evangelism, we got benevolence and edification. Now, I think we're very good today at two of the three. Mm-hmm. We're very good at benevolent work. Everybody pretty much likes to visit. Everybody pretty much likes to encourage. Everybody pretty much likes to write cards. Check. Right. Edification. Everybody pretty much loves to go out, eat, hang out, fellowships, activities. Wonderful. But when we have an evangelism door knocking on Saturday, other than your family, how many people show up? Right. You see what I'm saying? And so when you preach and when I preach, then that's the time to hold them accountable. Look, dude, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Matthew 28, 20, you know, that this is what the church is here for. And sometimes we're viewed as bad guys, even among our brethren, when we tell our brethren, look, man, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Oh, well, you don't love me then. Oh, well, you're, you're soft then. Okay. You know, but that's, that's just how it is sometimes. So I think part of, Loving somebody is actually spiritually telling them, look, man, you got to, you got to hold up your weight because if you don't hold your weight up, it hurts the entire body. Yeah. I'll give you a a really good example of this because it was hilarious when it happened. I was kind of surprised that this went this way. Um, Two examples, actually. Uh, The first one was Ty Montgomery was a, a player in the NFL for the Green Bay Packers a couple years ago when they played the Rams back when the Rams were having their undefeated season up until they eventually lost. They were like 9-0 and at the time, and Green Bay was like 7-2 and or something along those lines. They were playing each other, and Green Bay went to do a – they scored a touchdown, all right, on the very next kickoff that was given to the Rams. They, they scored or something, and the game was still close. The Rams kick off. Oh yeah, and the and Packers have an opportunity to go and win the game, and Ty Montgomery fumbles the ball, and the Rams ended the game. Right, he got cut like the next day, <laughs> and was and when he was asked about it, he was livid that he was cut, but it had not been the first time that he'd done something like that, and so he had to hold up some accountability. Second example, a little bit more close to home for me, Antonio Brown. <laughs> big Pittsburgh Steeler wide receiver. He was my all-time favorite player. I mean, I watched him from the draft all the way to being psycho. And <laughs> here he is, week 17 of the NFL season last year, not this past season, but the one before, and he doesn't show up to practice. And he says he's sick. He says he's not feeling well. And then he shows up on game day, and he's like, well, I'm going to play. I'm going to play. And the Steelers said, no, you're not. They were fed up with him. No, yeah. you're not playing. It, it, it's done. He, instead of seeing that what he had done was wrong, went on this tirade and ended up getting traded to Oakland, then didn't like what Oakland was doing. Oakland then let him go, went to New England, continued to do crazy stuff, and now it's probably never going to be signed again. But if you were to ask him today, if he were on this show right now, and we were to ask him, do you think you did anything wrong? I can tell you what he'd say. Nope. Nope. (laughs) I don't think I did anything wrong. And in his mind, accountability does not exist. And part of what you said is, is pull your weight. Yeah. If we do that in the church, people will walk away and say, I don't have to change. But we need to understand that sometimes we're going to do it, just like Green Bay did, just like Pittsburgh did and Oakland and New England. 
and he's still not going to get it. And so I've heard some people say, church discipline, for example, I've heard some people say, well, church discipline doesn't work. It probably doesn't work because you're not letting it work. Right. You're not doing it to the fullest extent. When was the last time someone can honestly say in many congregations that they disciplined somebody in the church? For a lot of congregations, the answer would be, I don't know. Yeah. And one of the things that they'll say is, well, they'll just go to another congregation. That might be the best thing for you. Yeah. And maybe it'll be the best thing for them. Maybe they'll change if they go somewhere else. But just because we're worried they're not going to change does not give us the right to say that we're never going to tell them that they're wrong. Yeah. They've got to pull their weight. You're they right. got to pull their weight. Because if yeah. they don't pull their weight, then not only are they messing themselves up, but they're messing yep. the entire body. Yeah. So I think the second thing here is part of, of, of loving people is holding them accountable when they're in sin. And that, that just transitioned right into the second point here. Now, again, we both know First John 3, 4, um, sin is a transgression of God's law. Right. So I want to look at this verse here, Michael. Um, and if you guys are following along, I want you to go here. Galatians chapter 6. And I want to look at verses 1 through 5. Now, this verse, if you don't study this verse, you can twist this any way you want to. So we hear the popular verse in verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So before we get into this, let's ask this question here. Michael, do you have burdens in your life, spiritual, physical? Yes. Do yeah. I have burdens, physical and spiritual? Yes. So keep that in mind that each individual person in the church has burdens. Notice what the Bible says here. Brethren, if a man be overtaken, and what's the next word? In a fault. So what is the context of Galatians 6? When your brother is in sin. If you're overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. Now, what's my job? Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest you also are tempted. Then it jumps to verse two. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. <clears throat> now, some people think, Mike, this, this word burdens means you have to take everything that I'm dealing with in life. So essentially, if I have a backpack full of burdens and you say, you know what, you need to take all of my burdens along with yours. So we're basically be burden passers. That's not what the text is talking about. What right. it means to bear, um, I, I think it was in Brother Moser's class. It, it's the Greek word, um, bastatso, which means to carry or to lift off. Now, yeah. what are we to carry and to lift off our brethren? Their personal problems? No. I'm to carry and to lift off sin. Right. So if I see my brother in sin, my job, because I'm spiritual, I'm to help lift the sin off of that brother. Some people take this verse as, well, Jordan, if you don't help me, and if you don't give me what I need, then you aren't bearing my burdens. See how they can, see how can, they yeah. can twist that? You know, it's interesting. Um, the, the First of all, when it says overtaken, that word is prolambano in the Greek. It means to be taken by surprise. Right. It, it's literally this mentality in my mind of you're driving down the road. You ever have a deer jump in front of you <laughs> and how that really freaks you out and surprises you? That's the mentality I get coming to mind here. But this is something else. That burden there is a large boulder. 
It's something that someone cannot bear alone. Alone. Now, sometimes there can be personal problems that need to be helped and, and you know, bore on the shoulders of others in the Lord's church. For instance, if someone is dealing with the loss of their house and they're right. dealing with financial problems and difficulties, I absolutely believe, and I know you do too, that the church would be obligated to step in. But if someone has a gambling problem and continues to gamble away their money, at a certain time, the church can say, we can't bear this anymore yeah. because you're not trying to change. But in the, in the Greek there, the word for burden to be, to be born on someone's shoulders is actually this mentality of to keep on bearing. So it's when, when I see somebody in my congregation and they've lost a loved one, you know, there are going to be a lot of firsts in that very beginning year after they lost their loved one, their first right. anniversary, their first birthday without them, the first birthday of their spouse that they lost, all of these different firsts. Maybe they took a, a yearly trip every year to go do something, and they're not going to do that anymore. I actually had a man who was, we were updating our directory. He came into my office and he was crying because he'd lost his wife and he was really disheartened that he had to take a picture without her. And he, he didn't want to do it. Right. And so those are the types of burdens that we keep on bearing. I remember every time I see him that, Hey, he's going through something. And what can I do to help? You know, one of the easiest things preachers can do, Alan Webster taught us this in that seminar we had when we were in school together, that some of the easiest things a minister can do is simply write a card to right. someone who's lost a loved one on their anniversary date, because it's in the church calendar. It's in the church directory. All I have to do is take the old directory, write that anniversary down in my Apple calendar in whatever calendar you're using. And it's going to let me know when that anniversary pops up. Right. And I might even after someone dies, sometimes I've thought about doing this and I really probably should. I've thought about putting underneath in those ones now deceased. So give me an extra under, okay, this, this should really get my attention. Those right. are the types of burdens. I want to, I want to talk real quick about verse seven though, in Galatians chapter six, because we've taken this verse grossly out of context in the, in the church. I think today, we talk a lot about whatever man sows, he'll reap. Well, don't be surprised if you, if you sow sin, you'll reap sin. That's not what's being discussed here in the context. I think it's biblical. I think it applies. But literally what's being discussed there is if you don't bear someone's burdens, don't be shocked that nobody comes to bear yours. And that's what we have happen in the church is we've got people who they don't want to go to the defense of somebody. They don't want to help somebody out when they're dealing with something. Right. But when their tragedy strikes, they expect that same person they won't help to come to their aid and to help them. And Paul's literally telling these Galatians, if you're not going to do this, do not be shocked. Don't turn around and say, well, why didn't he come to my defense? Because you didn't go to his. And what, what is he supposed to do? Is he supposed to just sit there and say, I know he's a Christian and that he should have that mentality, but many of us won't because they didn't bear our burdens and we're not going to go bear theirs. So the easiest way to fix it, why don't we all just bear each other's burdens? Yeah. And also in the context, and obviously with, with burdens, there's, there's two senses of that word. Like mm -hmm. you said, burdens in terms of, of emotional burdens, financial burden, all that stuff. Those are burdens that the church should help for sure. And both of us agree. Mm -hmm. The church should help with those burdens. But in context in verse one, the burden is not those. Right. The burden here is sin. Yeah. And so what you said in verse seven, since you brought since you brought verse seven up, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth that shall he, that shall he also reap. Within verse eight, keep it in context, 
what am I sowing though? If yeah. you sow to the flesh, yep. which is S I N. Yeah. All this is talking about sin. We're not talking about, we're not talking about burdens in terms of financial, emotional. We're not talking about that. That's not what we're talking about here. Burden here is if I love you, if I say I love you, I will bear your burden by helping you to take off that sin. That's what Galatians 6 is about. It's not about the physical. Let me say that again to the people. It's not about the physical at all. It's all about, in context, it's about if you are in sin, I'm to help you to carry that burden. But then also he says, be careful, because if I help you with that sin and I get too close, verse 1, consider myself, because what could potentially happen to me? I could fall in the same thing you've fallen into. But then verse 5, but see, now here's the accountability. Every man shall bear his own what? Mm-hmm. So oh, if you don't want to deal with your sin, Michael, and I'm telling you about your sin, and you keep going, guess what you still have to bear on your own? Yep. Yours, right? See, this is, this is what we're talking about. Because sometimes, guys, we take this concept of burden as physical. Well, you're not helping me financially. Well, you're not helping me. Emo- well, that is a problem, but this is not the context of, of chapter six whatsoever. Right. Chapter six is the three-letter word, S-I-N, and we're afraid. Now, I heard this quote the other day. This is what happens when we put friendship over accountability. Mm-hmm. If you've come too close to a brother or sister in Christ as a leader where you cannot correct them, you're too close. Right. So when we're corrected, is that fun? No. I've obviously, we were checked so many times by the instructors. Mm-hmm. I've been checked by my parents. I've been checked by spiritual people here. I've been checked by random people. Hey, you might want to look at this. Hey, you might want to do this. Hey, you might want to. Okay. I've checked you before. Right. Checked and I've, before. I've checked you before. So, I mean. So we, we do that not because, yeah. well, I think I want to check Michael today to, mm-hmm. to you know, show my, my dominance over Michael. That's not what it's about. We're doing this because the same place that I want to go, I want Michael to be there because we both know the consequences. Um, if we don't hold each other accountable, we'll both be lost. And so we're doing all this night. You know, I heard a, a preacher say, sometimes we'll nice each other to hell. Yeah. Because we're, we'll, be, we'll be too friendly with one another that I'm afraid to tell somebody, hey, you know, you might want to look at this. You might want to change. You know, we're just trying to make each other better. That's what this life is about. Now, obviously, I haven't been perfect. I could have done better in a lot of things. You could have done better in a lot of things. Yeah. But the thing is, that's the beauty of, of growth as an individual because it's not necessarily about, you know, I heard Coach Saban. He said, sometimes we look too much at the destination, but sometimes we forget the beauty of the journey. And so when I look mm-hmm. back, at Memphis, when I look back at before Memphis at college, when I look back at high school, I look at the things I went through in the growth. And sometimes I don't know about you, but I wish this version of me now was there in college. Yeah. Or this version of me now was there at Memphis or this version of me was, but that's just not how life is. You have to make, you will fall, but you also can make those mistakes. But still, if you have brethren that love you and will help you to be accountable, and that's what this is all about. Well, when you think about verse one again, it, where it says, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. I watch a lot of, you know, Criminal Minds, Hawaii Five-0, those types of shows. And sometimes the, the uh, show will have a bomb as the center of the episode. And the bomb has to be diffused. You know what yeah. I've never seen? 
I've never seen the guys who come to defuse the bomb say, all right, everybody draw out your weapons and just fire at it. And let's just see if that'll defuse. Yeah. Let's see if that. <laughs> let's go take a baseball bat to that thing. These people, and they normally take five, 10 minutes to show this scene. They're walking so slowly up to the bomb. They're carefully pulling apart the, the, the portion of the bomb to reveal the wiring or whatever they need to use to defuse it. And they're so carefully cutting things and re repositioning things. That's the way we're expected to approach someone who has been taken in sin right? with this spirit of meekness. And we consider ourselves, this is the other part of that. That's very interesting. You and I are very good friends. And the chances if you or me were to fall into sin and the other tried to come and check the person, as we talked about a minute ago, could easily be taken just like I was taken or you were taken. If we don't consider ourselves, if, if I'm taken into sin and you come before me and you haven't considered your own self first. And I say, well, let me give you my story. Let me tell yep. you where I'm coming from here. And I start, and now I've swayed you. And that's where it says, consider yourself. When Unless you go to rebuke tempted. somebody, you can be tempted just as easily as they could. Yep. Nothing that says just because you're the one that's being spiritual in the moment that you're immune to Im immorality and to sin. Yeah. No, we all have this opportunity when we talk about these burden bearing situations with sin of realizing I'm just two steps away from that being me anyway. Yeah. And sometimes you can be, sometimes we think, uh, how do I want to phrase it? Sometimes we can be tempted in anger. Yeah. So if I know you're in sin and if I come to you and I come to you hot swinging, then I'm tempted by anger. Cause remember the Bible says we can be angry at sin, yeah. but be ye angry and sin, sin not. not though. Yeah. So there's a way to approach. Now also here's, I forget what which instructor told us this, um, um, but he told us you have to make sure that you know people Yeah. because some people take discipline in other ways, you know, with some, you know, with, with my family, with my, with, uh, with Gerald, you know, you could look at Gerald a certain type of way and he's like, okay, you know, I yeah. got it. <laughs> but with me, with me, I didn't necessarily go with just the look. I had to go just a little, a little deeper. I had to get a little, little pat in the back. Right. Mm -hmm. And so here spiritually, it's the same thing. Because in Jude chapter six, um, the Bible talks about that. I believe it's verse, um, verse number twenty-two, it, or, or Jude twenty-two. Um, but it right. says, "For some people have compassion, mm -hmm. making a difference." So if there's someone in sin, sometimes if I know that person, I can just go and have a, a quiet conversation, have a cup of coffee with them. Yeah. But then with some people, verse number twenty-three. But others save with what with fear pulling them yeah. out of the fire see some people Mike, you can talk to them and they'll change but some people you can talk to them all day but yeah. they have to go they have they literally and i think the prodigal son fits in this mm -hmm. they literally have to go through the school of hard knocks yeah. life has to hit them words words won't hit them life has to hit them and bring them to such a state to where they're like okay now i will listen you know, and so, I think I fall into that as well, because sometimes I'm like, well, you know, you got to let life let life teach you at times. Sometimes our uh, our actions, it's too late. Yeah. Even though we've changed, it's too late to repair some of the damage that we've done. In Nehemiah 9, the children of Israel are saying this prayer to to God and asking for forgiveness. One of the things they mention around verse 30 to 33 is the idea that even though we have repented, we are still in captivity. Even though we have changed and we yeah. realize that what we've been doing is wrong, 
we're still facing the consequences of our actions. Man. Now, God had forgiven them. Right. And he was going to, you know, the covenant relationship had been restored. The punishment for what they had done was still going to be given out. Still there. And it was through captivity. Yeah. And that's what happens today. A man can sin. And let's just say a man cheats on his wife and he has to have a divorce and he repents wholeheartedly for that. Right. He can be a good, a good Christian, a good man, but he may not be able to stand in the pulpit and talk about the family. He may not be able to stand into the pulpit and tell people that, you know, marriage is a sanction, uh, you know, a, a God governed place that we need to be holding in high esteem. And, all, because and he may be he ineligible. Hasn't. He may exactly. be ineligible too. So you can't. Exactly. And so we've, we've done a disservice there with love of saying certain things in that regard too. I, I just want to touch on real quick while we're talking about it. Whew. When someone sins, many people in the church now are unwilling to call it a sin. a sin. And if they call it a sin, they're unwilling to say that there are consequences to that action that last beyond the forgiveness. That's right. For instance, you have some people that say, well, I'm not a Christian yet. So when I become a Christian, God will recognize this marriage. That's not what the Bible teaches in certain cases. But some people will say, well, I'm a Christian. God wants me to be happy. I'm living a faithful life. Why should I change? Because God expects you to change. Yeah. In Ezra chapter 10, when those people found out they were in marriages that they weren't supposed to be in, they had to repent and then divorce all of those people. Yeah. And they did. And the Bible even says, and nothing in the Bible is there on accident. The Bible even says some of them had children. There's an argument that I hear a lot too is, well, we're staying together well, we for the, the children. Mm. Not according to Ezra's people. Yeah, They were going to do what God expected them to do. And Ezra, among others, was part of that correction. Yeah, When they read the law and they discovered what the law tells them to do, and that's the point, man. We're just doing such a bad job yeah. at times, and not as a whole, but at times of just allowing things to go by the wayside. And yeah. we just sit there and we're worried about the contribution. We're worried about all of these things. God is still in control. He still rules in the kingdoms of men. He's right. still on the throne, and he can still influence things for good. I'll say this, and then I'll throw it back to you. We had some people visit whose family, this family had lost their house. It had burned down. They lived right behind me. And I had gone over and seen them the night that the fire happened. And I said, look, the congregation I know will want to do something to help you out. We'd love to have you come and attend services with us. So he texted me, I guess, Thursday of last week and said, hey, we're going to be there this Sunday morning. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm supposed to preach two sermons this Sunday morning that are rebuking the congregation and that's their first taste of the Somerville Church of Christ. Yeah. And I'm thinking, great, what do I do? And so I, I kept debating with myself all Sunday morning. I'm getting dressed. I'm putting my tie on thinking, do I push it back another week? Do I wait? And I just finally told myself, you know, I can't be apologetic for the truth. I can't stop nope. and change the way things are said in the Bible. I can just maybe phrase it a little bit cleaner and yeah. maybe not phrase it as such of a rebuke, but just a call to action. And so I did that. I preached the sermon. And the whole time he's nodding his head and he's shaking his head in agreement. I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's humoring me. And I go up after the service ends and he said, you know, Michael, it's the funniest thing. On the way to church this morning, we were talking about everything that you just preached about. Now stop and think about that for a minute. And he said, we loved that sermon because we were just talking about it and you hit the nail on the head. Now, if I had not preached that, who knows what I would have lost? Yeah. But their mentality coming away from the congregation was, 
they're not afraid to speak truth. And if that can still work and it does, it was a reminder for me. I told my dad, it was an, it was a nice reminder that I don't need to be apologetic of the truth. I don't need to be a jerk about it, but I don't need to be apologetic of what the Bible says. If the Bible tells me I need to do something or tells others they need to do something and they're not doing it, somebody's got to change. Yep. And the word of God's not going to. So the people have to. Yeah. And I'm reminded of, uh, I believe it's in second Timothy or first Timothy. I have to look up again. Um, but Paul says my charge is before God. So when we were in school and when we walked across that stage from that moment forward, see, sometimes again, this, this concept of, of conflict is good. Mm-hmm. Sometimes preachers preach for the congregation, right? And people uh, preachers work for, I don't work for any brother. I don't work for any elder. My charge is before God. Right. So if the elders happen not to like it, but this is what God says, guess who I'm siding with? I'm siding with God. If certain brethren from this point on hate my guts, oh, well, I'm siding with God because God plus one is always the majority. And that's why preachers, we must have backbone because we're going to say some stuff that are going to offend people that we know and love. But are we saying that so we can offend them? No. Right. We're saying it because that's what the Bible says. Are you going to, the biggest problem is, okay, are you going to conform to what the Bible says? Am I going to conform? Because remember, I got a soul too. And so people, um, we're taking a a preachers in his work course class here at the school of preaching here in in St. Louis. And dad was teaching the class and he said, you know, sometimes people don't see the work that we do. They think it's a 30 minute sermon and you just hang out in your office, go to lunch and go home a preacher's work and that's why it's so tough because guess who the preacher preaches the sermon to first yep who has to make the sermon so dude there's been so many sermons the past couple years where i've i've written the sermon and i've had to repent in the office there because i'm not doing it yeah so how can i be preaching something that i'm not doing i have to get right first yeah then i go before and change and help other people to change and that's where that's where the heart comes in. And I know both of us have kind of had, you know, that type of mentality of where, look, dude, I can't tell you to change if I'm not. Yeah. And so right. here's, here, here's the last thing I want to look at here. Um, conflict is not always bad. Um, at times, it's needed in order to strengthen. You know, you think about, you know, obviously, Michael, you've been married. How long have you been married now? Five years. Five years. Wow. Five years. I remember when you proposed. That was a long time. Five years, right? Yeah. Five years. You've been married for five years. And something I like to do is, um, you know, other than my parents, you know, I talk with them and older couples, you know, I like to, to hear, you know, about other people's marriages. And so most of the marriages that I hear from, people don't talk about the good times. They talk about the difficulties and they talk about even through those difficulties that they still stuck it out. Yeah. And so you think about, you know, when we're, when we're baptized into Christ, from that moment forward, what do we begin with God? We begin a relationship with him. And so I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 12. And here's the last verse that I have, and then I'll bounce it to you here, Mike, for closing thoughts. Um, I'm reminded of Hebrews 12, uh, verse um, you know, number six. You know, we're talking about I love you, right? 
-hmm. but whom the Lord loveth, the Lord chastens. Yeah. And the Lord scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure that chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is whom the father chastens not? So these things, these conflicts that we go through in our lives, you know, the Lord uses those. Not saying that the Lord, um, because the Lord can't tempt us, right? We we find that from James. So the Lord's not, you know, holding something over your head. But the Lord can use those things. He can use conflict. He can use those trials in your life in order to strengthen the relationship with him. Yeah. You know, I love verse 8, too, where it says, if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate. You're not sons. You're not sons. You're not, you're not my son if you're not chastened at times. You're not my son if you're not going to be rebuked and told, hey, you can straighten up a little bit and fly right. I think what you said a minute ago, though, of course, I'm not going to take too much time to talk about it because in my, my podcast season three that I'm currently working on is on suffering. <laughs> and I'm, I talk a, a lot about what happened to me when I got diagnosed. But, you know, fresh out of – fresh out the gate, married – I get Crohn's disease and my wife and I are both in school. She's in nursing school. I'm in preaching school. We're, we're dealing with all of this kind of stuff. And then on top of all of that, I'm going to doctor's appointments all the time, trying to figure out what to do and how to get better and what, what's going to happen. I've had, I've had a, almost 11 procedures that are considered to be very difficult to go through and I shouldn't have had any of them until I hit 50. Um, and so here I am 26 years old and I've already lapped several people who are in their fifties that are just starting to have these procedures and lapped them like 10 times. Yeah. And so I look at all of that that happened and then I come back and think the love that we had got us through that. And now looking at times where both of us maybe have needed correction in our marriage, we were both not perfect when that correction comes, it's not always the easiest to take. She right. can't correct me who can. If I can't correct her in love, who can? Yeah. You know, our parents told us, and, and I think all the parents say this, and this is the same with God. When I leave father and mother and I cleave to my wife and we become one flesh, my mom and dad take a back seat. And they're always, when, when parents are ready for their children to go out and look for love, it's almost like they need to start practicing taking that back seat and allowing their children to, to ask for advice. But the children have to start growing up. The children have to start being adults at some point when we are married to the world, when we're with the world, we're children of the world as the Bible would describe us when we're sons of sin, we leave that we cleave to God. According to Ephesians chapter five, verses 25 through 33, we are married to Christ. Therefore, If he can't correct us, who can? Yeah. If I can't be corrected by the Bible and its word, then what I'm really saying is I can't be corrected. Yeah. That I'm perfect, that I have nothing to worry about, that I have no sin in my life, no problems, no issues. And that's just not true. I I love Brother Elkin's statement that he always made that the biggest room in his life was the room room for for improvement. improvement. Yeah. And that's so true. And if a man like Garland Elkins can say that, if a man like Curtis Cates and men like Thomas B. Warren could always sit there and say, I haven't arrived. I'm still working. I'm still laboring. Who am I to say that I, I don't need to work anymore and I don't need to labor anymore and I don't need to keep myself in check? Yeah. That, that's one of the easiest sins. I'll say this as I close. It's one of the easiest sins the devil has done is complacency. 
is mm. that I am fine as I am. I don't need to change. And God just needs to accept me for what I've done and not expect me to change anything. That's right. Yeah. And okay. To give two things, a sure. plug for a class at PTP that you're going to want to go to. Um, I think your parents talked to him when he was here in St. Louis. I've, I've known him for years. Yeah. And his name is Matt and he's doing a, a, I just talked to him at a lectureship we had up here and yeah. he's going to do a class on that and how he got through the yeah. Crohn's. So that's going to be, I can't wait for that. Um, Me too. That's gonna yeah. be good. Um, but then also, you know, you think about uh, this concept of, of change. You know, I find, I find my language changing now. Um, I find my, my language being more so I can do better or I'll do better or I, you know, and here's, here was my problem growing up. Even since I was a kid, I always thought that I had things figured out um, that I didn't need help um, just because I had success in doing things on my own. So, you know, I built this giant 300 Lego thing by myself. You know, I don't need anybody's help, you know, and then that, that progressed once you got older and older and older. And so now I'm more so I kind of get a second chance um, in the sense of, okay, underneath an eldership here, you know, underneath my parents, you know, that there's a renewed, there's a renewed relationship there to where it's okay. I spent this amount of time thinking I knew it all, but now I need to spend this second half kind of starting over and okay, now let me see if I can start over again and get better. And so That's I think, right. you know, as, as ministers, as leaders, as, as members, if we have this attitude and this heart of, okay, first of all, we need to recognize that we weren't right before. Yeah. Cause if you don't recognize it, then you'll never admit it. So, sure. you know, you had to recognize, okay, look, dude, I was wrong, you know, at this point in time, but now I'm trying to change that. And then moving forward, then, you know, not going back to the old man. Right. That the the book in uh, either Colossians or Ephesians talks about. But again, you know, I've enjoyed talking about this concept of of what real love is and conflict doesn't necessarily have to be bad because good things can come out of it. And so I've appreciated you guys listening. And we we were supposed to go for like 30, 45 minutes. Dude, it's like 12. What? It's like 12, 19 right now. (laughs) How long have we been going? I think we went for an hour. So you want to go for two? No. So I've actually like timed most of these. You, normally when I'm by myself, I go like 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. Every time there's a guest on and he happens to be a preacher or somebody, we always go back and forth with the scripture. You know, and that's the great thing about talking about the Bible, man. Yeah. It, it actually, and this is the love that I want other people to see and young people and adults that we're not doing this because this is like on an itinerary. You know, we're right. doing this because this is what we do. You know, like right. we love to do this. So, you know, I'm appreciative of Michael coming on. Um, and also, before we get out of here, Mike, I know there might be some social media, and I know your podcast, um, you might want to plug that too. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I try to be as active as I can. I've been blessed that uh, two, years, two years this August, I was asked uh, to write for a blog called Perspectives of a Bond Servant. There's four four writers. There's a, there's a perspectives of a teenager. There's perspectives of a preacher's wife and perspectives of a bond servant. I'm privileged to be one of the the bloggers on that. You can find that on Facebook. If you just type in perspectives of a bond servant, uh, I am also privileged to do a television program with Wayne Rogers on GBN called what would you do if, 
You can also find that on Facebook. If you want to watch the videos, they're on YouTube. Uh, we basically take questions that are difficult to answer and we, we try to do our best to answer them. And uh, we've done about, about 30 something of them and we're, we're doing more next month. And then finally, uh, I do a podcast called Far Better. You can find that on all the major podcast platforms as well as on Facebook. Uh, it's from Philippians chapter one where it says to be with the Lord is far better. And it's this mentality of pleasing God now in this life so that our eternities can be far better than what they will be if we don't please God. Right. And I got to give credit to Jordan here a little bit because he helped me kind of work through some of the stuff I needed to learn while I got ready to podcast. And a lot of my style now is in thanks to him because it's different when you do a podcast and you preach <laughs> yeah. uh, and you got to learn that balance where you're, you're having a conversation. But those are the three things I, I really do a lot of that I enjoy and season two is currently being edited. I recorded it with Joshua Cantrell. Uh, oh, we know nice. him pretty well from Foundation. I didn't know that. And so he's on He's on all of season two. Cantrell. And, uh, I look forward to, to getting that season out there. Uh, Key Ford's actually editing that as we're speaking. So that should be soon. And then I'm, I'm currently recording season three by myself. What I'm going to do is one season by myself, one season with a guest. And so I'll see how that goes for a while. But I've enjoyed being on the program. And thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. And hopefully we can have uh, Michael on again. Um, again, guys, you know, make sure, you, you know, you can follow it on on Spotify. Make sure you follow there. And you can find anywhere you get your podcast. You can also find it on YouTube um, as well. well. We'll be back next week. Um, I think I might do another solo one next week before we have another guest. So um, hopefully uh, you guys will tune in. And we thank you guys very much. Appreciate it.